I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture. With me, Neil Denny. On today's show, Cecile Pinn on her debut novel, Wandering Souls. Cecile Pinn grew up in Paris and New York City before moving to London at 18 to study philosophy at University College, followed by an MA at King's College. She writes for Bad Form Review, was long listed for its Young Writers Prize, and is a London Writers Award 2021 winner. And her debut novel, which we're going to talk about today, Wandering Souls, has been long listed for the 2023 Women's Prize. Cecile, thank you very much for talking to me today. Thank you for having me. First of all, would you tell us how you would describe the novel? Sure. So um, Wandering Souls, it's, it's partly based on my family history, and it deals with Anne, Han and Ming, three siblings who leave Vietnam after the war, um, and they spend some time at a refugee camp in Hong Kong uh, before arriving in the UK in the late 70s, so during the sort of Margaret Thatcher era, a time of a uh, really big societal and political upheaval. And they've lost their uh, family while on the journey, so their parents and uh, four of their younger siblings have passed away. So it's really about them uh, trying to make new lives for themselves in this really completely new land that they don't know, while also dealing with grief. And intercepted with, uh, within that narration, you also have some nonfiction elements. So you've got lots of um, sort of newspaper articles and some reflection on grief and things like that also within the novel. And this is your debut novel. Tell us how it actually came about. Sure. So I, I really, as I said, it's partly based on family history. So my mom was also a Vietnamese boat people. She moved to France instead of the UK. But I, I decided to set the book in the UK partly to make it fictional and, and you know, to make the characters my own and the story it's, its own thing. And also because I realized I was working in publishing at the time and I realized that there were very few stories uh, about the East Southeast Asian community and more, more specifically the Vietnamese British diaspora. So I really wanted to write about this community. Um, so I really started writing it. I think the idea was in me for a long time, but I really started writing most of it in January 2021 during the pandemic. So like a lot of writers, I just had a bit more free time. And I, I was in the London Writers Awards program at the time. So I had feedback groups every couple of weeks, and um, which kind of helped me, gave me more of a structure and I think more confidence in, in writing the book. So I, I really wrote most of it in the span of six months, I would say. 
the Vietnamese boat people is actually pretty much the first ever news event that I can remember in real life, really? coincidentally. And so remind us why the family are leaving Vietnam. Sure. So they're leaving um, Vietnam after the war. There was different reasons why that is. You know, first of all, the uh, Vietnam at that time was quite um, politically unstable. There were some economic hardships as well. Um, there were talks of re-education camps for um, Vietnamese who maybe didn't approve of, of the communist regime and so on. So there was both um, an economical and political element as well for, for the boat people leaving the country. And so that's really what the, the book is about. I think it's just a family wanting to find, to make a better life for themselves in a new country and start afresh. And unfortunately, that didn't pan out for, for most of the family, I see. Like a lot of Vietnamese at the time, perished on the journey because there were lots of obstacles. There were pirates, um, the sea. So, you know, you had lots of refugees who, who drowned on the journey. So, as you said, part of the family, so the family sets off in two different boats at slightly different times. Only half of them end the journey. Um, so we'll talk about the, the three characters, the three main family members. Anne, first of all, tell us something about her. Yes, so Anne is the, the oldest daughter of the family. She's 16 when the novel begins. And so she, she I think... She's got a, this big internal conflict when she learns that her parents have passed away. She's really finding herself as the, the oldest in her family and, and having to be the sort of mother figure to her two younger brothers. And um, that's happening to her at a time when usually, you know, young girls are more more worried about boys or school and, and so on. So she's I think she's a character that's always trying to do the right thing and always has this internal conflict in her of wanting to be just a normal teenager, but also really wanting to make her parents proud and be be the best mother figure that she can be for her brothers. Yeah, and this idea that she's basically lost part of her childhood because she's had to be the adult for her younger brothers is a is a sort of large subsequent theme of the book, isn't it? I think so, yes. There's a there's so many emotions I think that would come with that. She feels I think guilt over the fact that she sometimes wishes she could not have that responsibility imposed on her and so i think there's there's guilt and also just a really big sense of responsibility that's probably too much for a 16 year old to to handle so i think yeah and um she's just she's definitely lost a part of her youth and just uh having to she's had to grow up really quickly i think and so tell us something about tan and min the two brothers um they're a little bit younger than an yes so tan and min are the younger brothers. Um, so they're, I think, 10 and 12 when the novel starts. And Tan is the youngest one, and Min is the middle child. And um, they both, what was uh, important to me was to show that they have quite different experiences once they arrive in the UK. Uh, so Tan is a bit younger, and because of that, he maybe is better at acclimating to the UK. He's got less of a, he speaks English, he's better at making friends at school he's maybe a bit of more of an extrovert character uh, so he assimilates better to the country whereas Min is a bit more I think probably a bit more introverted and just has more trouble making friends at school and so he ends up leaving school when he's 16 and he's just overall not not as happy as his brother and the UK and regrets having left and regrets what happened to him 
I, so I just really wanted to show that there's not just one refugee experience and that a lot of it is down to luck and to circumstances outside of your control. So all three of the siblings, um, I think, really experienced the UK and experienced migration in quite um, different ways. And there's one other character that we haven't mentioned, and that's Dow, and he's one of their dead siblings. And we see basically his his ghost watching the family. This is the the one one of the wandering souls of the of the title of the book. Tell us something about that idea, the wandering souls. Sure. So the title, Wandering Souls, and and the idea behind having Dao in the book comes from Operation Wandering Soul, which I also touch upon in the book. So Operation Wandering Soul was an, um, a war operation that the U.S. Army undertook during the Vietnam War uh, in the 70s. And so the the operation consisted of the, of the U.S. Army who would play in the jungles those tapes, which you can listen to online there. It's called Ghost Tape Number 10, mimicking the sound of diseased Viet Cong soldiers saying things like, comrades, I'm dead now. You should go home. You don't want to end up like me. And it, and this kind of very airy, ghostly sounds. And it played on the Vietnamese belief that if you're not buried properly in your hometown, then you won't be able to rest and you'll be left wandering for eternity as a ghost. And so I included Dao in the book, who's a wandering soul, because he, he passed away um, in sort of mysterious circumstances while, while trying to make the journey out of Vietnam. And he's kind of looking over his living siblings in this place in between the world of the living and the dead. It was quite hard to capture his voice because he's a very young child. He's um, seven year old. So I had to make him sound like a child while also having this sort of wisdom and, you know, sense of timelessness that I think a ghost would have. So, um, but I really, I wanted to include him to, again, play on that that notion of, of wandering soul and I'm, I've always been very interested in the part that ghosts play in different cultures and they play a, a big part in, in, um, in Vietnamese culture and I also um, I was quite inspired by books like Human Acts by Hong Kong who also has a ghost narrator or you know Hotel Royal by Ali Smith so I, I love uh, books that include ghost narrators so I, it's just also something that I was keen to, to explore as well in the book. The family spend time in refugee camps, both in Hong Kong and then in Hampshire when they get to Great Britain. Um, it's sort of quite eerie reading this book about a refugee camp in an ex-military base in the exact week that the government are, uh, have announced that they're thinking about reopening some military bases to house asylum seekers. Mm-hmm. Tell us what these, what do the family experience, what would these refugee camps have been like? Yeah, so a lot of, of um, my work was just doing some research around those camps, and there wasn't that much, to be honest, written about uh, Sopli, which is a, a real uh, refugee camp that was built in the UK and that hosted the Vietnamese refugees. But so I think it was um, it was hard. You know, I think it, they were the conditions, and I'm talking also about the, the camp in Hong Kong, weren't necessarily the best. They were very crowded. They were living with lots of other refugees in, in the in the rooms. They didn't have a lot of privacy um, and so on. I think there was, um, I was reading lots of testimonies online, and I think lots of refugees, you know, felt like they were quite well received by the UK government at the time, uh, which was kind of nice to see as well. But it, it was def- it's definitely... Um, quite an eerie feeling to see that it's it's sort of just a history that keeps repeating itself. And you've alluded to this already, but the novel is intercut with sections of non-fiction written from the perspective 
of what the the blurb in the inside page of the book describes as a as an unknown researcher we do eventually find out in the in the book who the um who the researcher is but this of course reflects your own i mean you've already mentioned that this this story the bones of this story is your own family's story just with you know the places place names changed but also your own research into you know the background of the of the boat people the refugee camps um so tell us something about this decision to put these sections into the book Yes, yeah, so I, I really, I just, while I was doing my own research for the book, I thought it was just really interesting to see um, the feelings that I, I was experiencing on, on writing that story. And I, it's, I've always been quite interested in writing about just the power of storytelling and, and the role that, the responsibility that comes with telling one story. So I, I was wanted to include that as well in the book and sort of engage with the readers as well uh, by doing that and, and kind of looking into the role of catharsis as well and, and writing as a way to process trauma and, and emotions. Um, so I thought a, a way to do that would be to include someone kind of doing research and writing a book about both people, So it, which is was partly based on some of the emotions I was feeling, but again, making it making the character fictional. And I, I included some real-life events, like I talk about the Essex lorry death, which happened, um, I think, a few years ago when there was, um, I think, 30 Vietnamese refugees who passed away in a, in a lorry in in, um, in the UK. And I talked about Operation Wandering Soul and, and Dawn, because I think I just, again, really wanted to, to re-give the Vietnamese boat people their place in history in a way. I mean, just, that sounds very grand, but just doing that in a, in a small way for a few hundred pages. And really placing the story in the real world, and um, and the book, you know, it, it so it mixes fiction and um, real life events, and it's a bit of an invitation, I think, for readers as well to make their own research and Google if they wish to um, to see what is what was real and what's not real in, in the book. So it was interesting. I had lots of readers not realizing that Operation Wandering Soul was a real operation, for example. So I, I kind of like that idea as well to um, not really say what's really and what's not and, and leaving it up to readers to to make that extra step to um find out for themselves the fictional narrator talks at one point about how she feels the pressure to get everything right to get the details right because of the importance of of telling this story correctly is that how you felt yourself oh yeah for sure i was very scared at first um i think i i really wanted to get all the details of the camp, right? And, you know, how things were at the time. And, and it was a bit paralyzing at first. And, and I was doing so much research and probably not enough writing until someone finally told me, I think you might be procrastinating a bit just by doing so much research. So it was really about letting go of that fear and and hoping that if I got like one tiny detail wrong, people would be understanding and not, you know, anger at me. But uh, it took a while to get over that fear. And um. I've been really happy with the response so far. My mom read the book as well, and she said that she was quite impressed with the the research, and that it felt like I was there. So that made me happy as well. But uh, it it was, you know, I definitely felt that sense of responsibility at, at the beginning. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You're listening to Little Atoms. I'm Neil Denny. Today I'm talking to Cecile Penn and we're talking about her debut novel, Wandering Souls, which is long listed for the 2023 Women's Prize. And Cecile, just staying with one of the non-fiction parts of the story that you tell in the book, an incident on an island uh, called Koh Kra off the coast of Thailand, which is an incredible story. Tell us what happened there. Yes, so... This was, um, again, something that happened in real life. Kokra was an island um, near the coast of Thailand, as you said, where um, a lot of the refugees found themselves uh, stranded. And a lot of them were kind of brought there by fishermen and pirates. And um, it was very a horrific event. And a lot of the women refugees who were there uh, would get sexually assaulted and raped. And they would just be stuck there. And the pirates would come every day and... and assault them until they were found by uh, uh, the police and brought to refugee camp um, in Ubon in Thailand. Uh, but so that was, it wasn't something that I knew about before making the research for the book. And it was quite hard to read about that. And um, and I wrote the chapter in the form of a news article as a way to, I think it was important for me to, to not kind of sensationalize the, the violence. And again, kind of, you know, show the readers that it is something that happened in real life. But it was that was definitely one of the hardest chapters to write, I would say. You also, as you mentioned, that the the, well, the second part of the book is set mostly in um, 1980s UK. Um, you reproduce a a letter from Margaret Thatcher to um, a refugee family uh, that's very sympathetic to their plight, but then also um, a news article about documents released under the under the sort of thirty year act that showed what her real feelings were towards the um the boat people at that time so how how did britain 
officially welcome refugees in the 1980s? Oh, well, I think so. I, I think that's a complicated uh, answer to that. Um, so as I said, lots of the testimonies that I read said that the, the refugees felt welcome to the country. But then um, looking at the, the Margaret Thatcher, that meeting that she had, the minutes were only made public in 2009. So um, 30 years after the meeting took place, it, it showed that she had maybe backtracked on some of her what she had said and her feelings towards the refugee crisis and maybe wasn't as excited and and keen to welcome the both people so um you know it's um um i think the numbers in the uk are quite much smaller so i think the us and france for example they welcomed more than a hundred thousand both people and i think the uk uh the numbers are more around twenty twenty five thousand. so the uk welcomed less both people than than other countries and i think part of that is because of the history obviously vietnam has a history that's more closely linked with the U.S. and and war because of the war and colonialism. So it's interesting. I think it's you know it's um it's a mixed bag, and um I think it's safe to say that um maybe there could have been more could have been done to welcome them, but also that they it was nice to see in the in the testimonies that individually speaking, uh, the refugees felt um that they were welcomed. The book talks about grief and obviously an enormous, unimaginable loss to the family, but also the psychological effect that grief has on subsequent generations, a sort of survivor's guilt, I guess. Tell me something about that theme in the book. Yes, so the book explores grief and mourning. And it was uh, interesting to see for me to explore as well how grief and mourning kind of varies from culture to culture. But it's, it's, um, so there's that kind of cultural element to grief that's explored in the book and also the idea that grief in a way and, and intergenerational trauma can be passed down from generation to generation. And how do you move on from such a horrific event and from, um, you know, losing half of your family in, in traumatizing circumstances? So there's different elements of grief that are explored. And again, I think the idea that writing about your story and, can be a way to, to process grief and of honouring the dead as well. I mentioned that you you grew up in Paris and New York and are obviously living in London now, all places that, as you've also alluded to, are like major, major centres of the Vietnamese diaspora. Um, and the book talks about how now, latterly, um, ironically, that's quite a, um, it's quite a trendy thing. People love their fur. Let's talk about that, about how the... Um, that sort of like gentrification in some way of Vietnamese culture in these cities. Sure, yeah. So I think it's it's great. So there is a scene in the late 70s where Anne is trying to go shopping at a big supermarket in, in the UK and she can't really find any Vietnamese fruits or ingredients to make um, a Vietnamese meal. But nowadays you can find almost anything you want in, you know, Asian supermarkets and even in at Sainsbury's or something, you'll, you'll usually have a kind of Asian section or so on. So I think that's, um, you know, it's it's really great that we just live in a more multicultural world, whether that's in, in the UK or in France or um, the US. So, and it was interesting as well to explore that in the book. But again, of course, it's not all, all positive. And, and during COVID, there was a really big rise in anti-Asian hate. So it's, I think, and again, it was interesting to, to have those events happen while I was writing the book and seeing that there is there is both progress and and you know, sort of a sense that we're going backwards as well. So it, there's a lot of mixed emotions and mixed feelings around uh, around all that. I think. 
So just one more thing before I ask you to read a bit of the book for us, if you would. What does it mean to you that the um, the book has been longlisted for the Women's Prize? Oh, it's amazing. It was very um, just unexpected. You know, I, just, I didn't even know if my book would be submitted or anything. So it was definitely uh, it's a surprise. Uh, you know, I, used, I was editorial assistant last year, really. I, I, I left my job in October uh, and my job was literally to submit books to this prize. And so now to be nominated for it was felt, felt quite surreal. And um, I think it's such a good long list as well. It's really great that they have so many other really great debuts as well on the list. I think it's nine, nine of us. Um, so I was really grateful to have that happen. I think the, the long list came out a few days after publication. So it was just a very positive and, and wonderful moment for me. So can I get you to read us a bit to finish this off? Sure, yes. Uh, so I'm going to read... The chapter which opens part two, which actually introduces readers to Operation Wandering Soul, which I talked about a little before. So this is chapter nine. 1967. Operation Wandering Soul, part one. Vietnam. Within a jungle whose name they don't know, Private Jackson and Private First Class Miller are slowly advancing, pushing aside branches with the tips of their rifles. Their faces are covered in acne, brought about by the heat on their still adolescent skin. Miller is holding the trigger, ready to pull out the slightest unusual sound, a whisper of breath or the tread of a boot that is not theirs. They're hunched, on edge, eyes darting, stomachs rumbling and back sweating. Are you okay? Jackson mouthed. Miller nods, although he's aware his heavy breathing and dripping forehead is giving him away. He's carrying a portable PA speaker with both arms, weighing what he imagines a baby elephant must weigh. They both think this is idiotic. Linton Smith had come to see them that morning at breakfast. Chopped ham, eggs, and powdered milk. Boy, do I have a mission for you, he told them, smirking, which was never a good sign with Linton Smith. He presented the speaker to them, pointing to the nearby jungle. You need to go in there, drop it, not too far from camp, and press play. He took a cassette tape from his pocket with a label on its spine that read Ghost Tape Number 10. Smith inserted the tape into the player and looked at the two privates, laughing at their bafflement. Operation Wandering Soul, he said, to scare the living shit out of those gooks. The thought, they could tell, delighted him. Miller and Jackson knew not to ask any questions, and they obeyed the order. Finally, they find an area flat enough to position the speaker without risking it falling over. Ready? asks Private Miller, his voice quavering. Private Jackson covers his ears with his hands. Private Miller presses play, and as soon as he does, he winces, having no clue what to expect. Strange, airy sounds, screams and wailing emanate from the speaker, chilling them to their core. The soldier is Vietnamese is rudimentary, but in between the shrieks they untangle a few words. Dead, hell, home. The reaction is immediate. The sound of gunfire rises from the jungle like a symphony. The two look at each other, frightened, and run as fast as they ever have back to their base. The distant shouts of Viet Cong soldiers mingle with the voices emanating from the tape, so much so that they cannot tell anymore which are real and which are not. So I've been talking to Cecile Penn. We've been talking about her novel, Wandering Souls. 
which is long listed for the 2023 Women's Prize and is out in the UK from Forty State. Cecile, thank you so much for taking the time to share it with me. Thank you so much for having me. This episode of Little Atoms was produced, presented and edited by me, Neil Denny. Little Atoms is hosted by ACAST and published by 89Up. The show is broadcast on Mondays and Saturdays on Resonance 104.4 FM. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.